0: they can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: Hello, I'm Billy Munger. And hi, I'm Johnny Herbert.
3: And welcome back to Lift the Lid, the podcast that takes you flat out around the world of Formula One. And we are back again, Johnny, for another
2: team radio episode where we get to hear from the fans. Oh, yes. Hopefully there's some nice tricky ones there. I'm sure there will be, Billy. sure there will be. I love
3: this part. There always are some funky questions in here that really, you know, get us thinking. So I think we might as well just get straight into it, mate. You know, let's get going. I think so. I'll kick us off because this question is addressed to you, mate. And it says, this is from Sean, by the way. How did racing Group C cars compared to F1 cars of the day? Wow.
2: You could literally drive 24 hours without a problem in a Group C car. You'd have absolutely no chance of doing 24 hours in a Formula 1 car because it would physically batter the hell out of you because they are just so extreme compared to a sports car. It's quite sedate when you drive a, a Group C car back in those days anyway. The aerodynamics were nowhere near as efficient as a Formula 1 car. They were nowhere near, there wasn't as much grip aerodynamically. There wasn't as much grip even with, in the mechanical side. Um, and then you had the power, the power of a sports car, especially that I was very lucky with the Mazda with the Wankel engine. It was a very, very progressive, very, very smooth power band and a Formula One car. It was just brutal. It just wanted to sort of rip your face off when you sort of accelerated out of all the corners and then those G-forces, as I said. So it was a much easier drive. Yeah, in a sports car, um, compared to what I always dreamed about driving a Formula One car that was absolutely brutal. Um, And I think they've become more brutal in this modern day, for sure, with the amount of grip uh, that they've got. But, you know, it's like anything. They're all very, very different for very different ways. The challenge, though, is exactly the same. The limit is the limit. There may be sort of, a, I don't know, 100, 100 miles an hour different through certain corners compared to a, a Formula One car and a, and a Group C car. But it doesn't matter. The edge is the edge, and that is the challenge. So they have a different challenge, but the one, did I, did I enjoy one over the other? Absolutely. If one won it quite comfortably. It's because as racing drivers, Johnny, I'm imagining
3: we love speed. So, you know, as much as the limit is the limit in these cars, and that's still a challenge, if the limit and the speed yeah. you can carry is more, that, again gets you gets you going that that for me is you know the quicker cars i've driven where the speed limit is higher through corners i, I prefer that
2: yeah it's the thrill isn't it it's the the, ho- the whole thing about driving is just getting to that edge and the faster the car is able to go the more thrill that there is because one the challenge gets higher but when you get to that edge then the thrill comes into it the smile on the face comes and the more sort of motivation you you get to push it even more it's it's unbelievable what kick we've been very very lucky to be able to sort of drive drive all these different types of uh, cars with all different types of power and grip but fundamentally you know it's very i was very lucky that I was one of very few that were able to drive you know the biggest mightiest beast on earth 401 car
3: yeah it was a i can imagine a real pleasure just to drive all those cars from that era Uh, I'm actually going to ask you this second question as well, Johnny, because it makes sense for you to answer this one. And this is from Jack. Yeah. It was a pleasure meeting you at Festival of Speed, Johnny. Should F1 bring back the noise, 787B style?
2: Well, I don't know about you, Billy. Absolutely, yes.
3: Love the old school noises. You watch old school videos of Formula One cars, etc. The noise is incredible.
2: Yeah, well, I think this is the prime example with Jack asking that question. It's missed by the fans. They expect, I think, an F1 car to sound mighty compared to going into a race weekend where the Porsche is the, the 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 most noisiest car out on the racetrack, which is is crazy. You know, with all the technology that's sort of going on at the moment with synthetics and bios fuels, you know it's one of those things that I would think that should be the direction that we're going bring back an old V10 stick in something like the bio or the synthetic I know we're going bio anyway for 2026 but they're still sticking with the hybrid of course which is still they're better now You you know they're better now from a sound point of view compared to 2014 but they're still nowhere near what people seem to expect an F1 uh, to be. So so I would love that to come back because I, th- I still get it. And I don't know about you, Billy, the one place, and it's not even anything to do with a car. I remember standing in the paddock in Australia and you chat, chat, chat. And out of the blue came, I don't know if it was an F-18 or whatever the hell it was, jet flying straight over the paddock. And it it made everybody jump because the noise of that thing was just incredible. An F-1, I think it should be it still have that incredible noise that that it used to have I think there is enough technology out there to be able to to make that happen
3: yeah f1s f1 cars used to sound like fighter jets but stuck to the right yeah now they don't quite have that noise no they don't Bring back the noise no matter how yeah. let's let's make that one work yeah
2: exactly so I will do the next one Billy uh how much of the summer break is actually downtime for the drivers and teams that's from Jada. Well, I mean, it's obviously you know slightly different across the board, but
3: in general, you know, it's it is downtime. The the teams aren't yeah. you know allowed to you know were shut down. You know, as it, close to downtime as you can get during a season. That's what this is supposed to be. It's meant to give everyone a reset so that you're not burning people out and you know you know risking people's you know health because it is a intense calendar and they need that break both the drivers the engineers the mechanics you know everyone involved that they need the break so that's what this was brought in for so it realistically it is downtime so it's a chance to spend time with family obviously the drivers might go away on a few flashy holidays you know stuff like that but in general they they're trying to you know relax reset themselves for the second half of the season
2: yeah but i think it was we, as we all know jaden um engineers and drivers as well, can they actually put down their tools and just walk away and go for a swim and lay in a deck chair on the beach? I think for a lot of it they can, but they will still be thinking, drivers especially, we discussed a couple of drivers who are going to have to try and work out what's going on, George Russell for being one of those, uh, of what they need to do when they come back to the next race. So it's not sort of switch off and completely ignore what's, what's been going on before. There will still be time where you'll still be thinking about it. And an engineer is exactly the same, because they're still trying to think about what they need to do better to make them more, themselves more competitive. But of course, they can't go into the factories and work in a simulator or just work on their computer in, in, the, in the offices, because obviously they're not allowed to. So that's where it's slightly different. But of course, a human being is always going to be thinking about how they try and improve the situation they're in so yeah it's shut up down there will be time where they'll be able to go in that deck chair and sit on the beach and put that sun cream on their skin um but of course as billy said it's a very important thing because compared to my time of racing there were like 60 races i know we did quite a bit of testing but all the testing that we did do was mainly in europe and of course all these flyaways are the real Real killers for everybody because it's absolutely battering with all the different time zones that everybody goes through. And that's why we needed that break to sort of slightly refresh them. But even when we get to that last race, they will be pretty much finished when they get there because it's just a mental drain. It's a physical part of it, but it's more the mental drain. So that break is very, very welcome, I'm sure.
3: Very welcome indeed, mate. Uh Next question we've got is from Ollie and it says, if you could win only one... Of the Triple Crown races, which one would you choose? So, would you prefer to win? For those who don't know what the Triple Crown races are, you've got Le Mans 24-hour, Monaco Grand Prix, Indy 500. So, which one of those are you winning? You choosing to win? I mean, you uh, may have won
2: one of those yourself, Johnny. So, would you choose yes. to win that one out of the three? Of course, because it's the ultimate. Of course, it's the most difficult race in the world. No, it's not one of the toughest ones in the world for sure. That's that, you know, and it's still a very prestigious race uh, today. But it's still it's still Formula One. You know, Formula One is always going to be the one that I think is 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 going to be the number one choice. The winning Monaco is still the one yeah. for you that. I think it's still. I think winning any any Grand Prix is pretty special, but Monaco still has that historic feel about it. I still believe today it's the most challenging qualifying circuit in the world because it's It's a bit different in the race situation, but the challenge is still there because to, you know, to go through those narrow streets and many people say Formula One has outgrown Monaco. No, it hasn't. It's just the challenge has changed. The challenge may be tougher because the cars are a little bit quicker, but that's the whole point of this. It's, it's not supposed to be simple. So going to a track that is damn difficult physically and mentally, Monaco, yeah, that would be my choice. Do you think...
3: Just, this is just a question I think some people Will, will raise around this 24 hour is obviously a, You know it, It's It's own race And it's got its own history But equally It's part of the World Endurance Championship Now Yeah Now it is um, And the Monaco Grand Prix Is obviously one Grand Prix Which nowadays Sits in amongst You know 22 23 others So do you think Because of the amount of races That we've now got In the calendar That that maybe dilutes What it means To win Monaco do you think back in the day it used to have a bit more a uh, you know, appeal well, to I, it?
2: I think it still make it probably gives it more appeal because yes, there's more races, so there's more choice of races that you could say, well that one's better than that one, but Monaco still stands out. So we've got more. But that one is just the most incredible race and place that you're ever going to drive a Formula One car to thread through those barriers. Uh, of that circuit so no I, I think it still has this special place for everybody that goes there yeah, I, I know it can be frustrating sometimes to watch and it can be sometimes frustrating to be in the cockpit when you're trying to start a little bit further back and thread your way through so so it'd be actually a good idea actually maybe for next year if the domination is still going that way they should throw Max at the back of the grid and just see what happens see what happens alright maybe yes
3: <laughs> I few other people would like the sound of that too
2: Okay, right. This is for you, Billy. Uh, If you could choose one of Johnny's F1 cars to drive, which would it be? And Johnny, which one would you most like to drive again? Well, I think for me, this is a fairly easy answer. I'd like to drive
3: the Benetton that you won the British Grand Prix in because, you know, if Johnny can do it, I could do it too, I hope.
2: Anybody can do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's good. I think that's a good choice, Billy. Because I think of all the cars I drove, that that was probably the most. Was it the most competitive, exhilarating one? Well, I I struggled with it to be perfectly honest. It was a very very uh, nervous car, which is why Michael, the likes of Lewis, the likes of Max, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, Mika Hakkinen uh, were able to sort of deal with that with that sort of sharp front end. Oh, was it more sharp front end? Than it Lewis? was a very positive end. Yeah, very positive end and that was what always oh, it's one of those things Billy I'm, I'm rambling on a little bit now is before my accident I set up all my cars to do exactly that and then after my accident that just completely was not my thing anymore that's more of an understeery car did you, ask more you? A, yes it's, it's amazing how that trains and it's just your feeling that you've got but the quickest way is to have a nervous car it's the fastest way full stop
3: yeah, if you can get rotation in a in a race car with yeah. you having to turn the steering wheel as effectively, you know, or not turn it as much, that is the quick way to do it, isn't it
2: nowadays? But there's only a few that are able to 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 cope with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing how that is. So, yeah, Benetton's probably a good choice. I'd probably get to suffer to make you suffer. I'd probably give you the jag, the jag. That was horrible. <laughs> that was nasty. <laughs> Benetton, a good choice. What would
3: you like to drive again? That's part of that question as well. Which one would you like to drive again if you could choose any of the cars you've driven?
2: Yeah, well, I, I I liked the comfort that I had when I drove actually in the '97 the Sauber, um, but the car that I still have a fond fondness for is probably the 107 back in '92 when that came out for the first time in, in Monaco. That just looked it looked what a Formula One could, that should not be all about. It drove nicely. We were still about two two and a half seconds off of Williams. Or I do remember it qualifying in Monaco. I think it was, but it didn't matter. It still gave myself and Mika a good amount of of, of sense of well, this is what it sh- this is what it's all about because they were mighty mighty thing. And the difference I remember the beginning of let's say from that that uh, that era to the end of my career was you had to be much smoother with the steering input, like they are today, actually, that it, it is incredible how smooth the modern-day Formula 1 drivers are with that steering wheel. It's, it's not, you don't attack it in any shape or form. But back in sort of that 92, 93, 94, maybe 95 era, you attack the damn thing. It was like driving a go-kart, proper go-kart, really, really heavy steering wheel, no power steering. And you just went into a corner and you would sort of shift down the gears and you turn the steering wheel really hard. And the whole front would sort of grip and you'd feel all that energy from the tyre grip coming through your, your arms and your shoulders. And then you'd get on the power and it would just, yes, you get on it and there'd be a tiny bit of wheel spin. The thing would just sort of shoot out of the cordon. and You could be very, very aggressive. And it slowly changed into being sort of much, much smoother. But with that type of style, it obviously it would upset the car that little bit more. And of course, the biggest thing nowadays is not making the car slide at all and that's why the drivers have learned to be massively smooth with the car because you upset that car in any way and it would all be biting through you off the circuit so it's it's you have to give them a lot of respect what they do in a race car nowadays fall one race car yeah
3: i can completely agree with you on that one johnny our next question is from kate and she says hi johnny and billy do you think radio communications being shared more on tv has helped or hindered drivers reputations with the fans so team radio being broadcast as much as it currently is you think that's done a job at making drivers have a better relationship or a worse relationship with fans for me i don't know about you johnny but i think more yeah. that the fans can see what the drivers emotions are like behind the wheel and then they get to they do get the chance as well which i think is key here to see them outside of the car Um, and see their emotions there as well and I think it can only really be a good thing because you know even if you're seeing someone in their their moments of weakness where they're shouting on the team radio and they're calling they're effing and blinding on the team radio and calling people all these sorts of stuff I think that just shows the real emotion and passion they've got and then you get the chance for them to have their the, the chance to apologize in certain scenarios and and then they move on from it, you know, outside of the cockpit. So I think it's a good thing.
2: Yeah, well, again, we saw a bit of emotion from Max during the, the the Belgium Grand Prix. So, again, I think it's good to hear all that emotion, like you're saying, uh, Billy. Um, I think there are there are occasions from my side where I get a little bit frustrated is where they're using it as a tool to get to the stewards and the race director where they come on the run and say, let oh, squeeze me off the circuit, it's not i don't like that i don't like where they're using that as took that's racing that's what it's, all about. it's not about you sort of saying he squeezed you off the circuit because that's part and parcel of it um so that part of it i don't like but i do like the emotion that comes through it as well where there may be some certain, certain drivers and i know Lewis has done it before max has actually done it i think Ayrton, and i do remember in the past michael another one of those where they might sort of have a little bit of a say about a certain strategy that might be going on. They may not agree with what's being being done, and they do actually ask a question about that. So it's nice to hear that the drivers not that just been told right, do this and do that. They do actually sometimes have a little bit of a a question back uh, when they don't feel maybe it's the, it's the right thing, and it's all those little ingredients. I think I I do. I do enjoy that, you know, you can see they're actually having to think about what's going on and rightly so, you know, a driver has to sort of think about what's going on. He has the best view and feel of what actually is happening in the cockpit with all the fantastic data and sensors that they have on the car. The human in the cockpit is still the one who has has the best feel. So that's where now and again, you do have a driver questioning maybe what the strategy would be and I think that, I find that, that side of it very interesting.
3: Yeah, okay, I agree with that. There's definitely two sides to it but, I think overall we're leaning maybe slightly towards that it's a good thing for, that the fans can hear what the yeah the drivers and the radio stuff. But there's obviously a I think moments so. of maybe weakness from the drivers where they get a bit moany, like you said, where maybe there yeah it's gonna be a little bit hindered because of that.
2: Yeah, but it could also go the other way, Billy. Is when we had sort of Christian and Toto a couple of years ago with all that sort of silliness and then getting to Abby Dabby and everything that was going on there. That side of it was too much yeah. for me. That was way, way too too much the other way. You've got the team principals literally having an argument sort of on the as the race is going on with the race director. And you sort of go, No, no, that's it's not about you. It's about what's happening in the in the cockpit itself. You guys as a team put it all together. You try as your hardest to get everything that you can to supply the tools that the driver needs on the racetrack. But all that bickering to me, was way, way too much. It got stopped, which I think is is a good thing. It still happens behind the scenes. Uh, you'll still have someone like Charleston Wheatley, for example, at Red Bull. He'll still be sort of doing all that uh, chat uh, with, uh, with the with the steward side of things, the race director. We don't hear that as much, or we don't hear that really at all. It's more to do with the drivers and the engineer, which I think is a, is a good thing.
3: Right, we're going to take a little quick ad break. And when we come back, we'll finally get to the last couple of questions that you guys have had for us in this Team Radio episode. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Little Lid, the podcast. Johnny, a couple more questions left from our side for Team Radio.
2: Do you want to start us off? I'll start it off indeed, Billy. Uh, so, Naomi, uh, if you had to plan an F1 holiday with any past or present drivers and team principals, who would you choose and where
3: would you go? Nice question, this. This, uh, you know, this opens it, opens it up a little bit. I'm thinking... You know, what kind of holiday are we going for here? Are we going for a relaxed holiday, Johnny? Are we going to, you know, Ibiza or Magaluf and having a party up? Or, you know, are we going somewhere lovely, you know, like the French coast or Barbados? There's there's a lot to be desired here, isn't there?
2: Uh, being you're of the younger generation, and I know you've done a little Ibiza trip. Uh, yourself so you are a total party animal so i'm expecting you to some choose someone who is an absolute madman and that's probably someone from the past probably from that point of view so yeah i'm 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 a relaxed i'm a relaxed character when i go away i have my moments i do have my moments so this one's going to be quite hard because you've got to throw a moment in there as well (laughs) A, a real mad moment in there as well um, I tell you what, I'm going to go for someone from the sort of the '60s, and sadly, he's not with us at the moment. But from what I know about him and uh, have seen, in certain, uh, and certain videos and stuff like that, uh, Jimmy Clark. I think I'd love to go. And Jimmy Clark was a very, very quiet, quiet character. Um, and I think that would be again fascinating to have a sit down in a very, very quiet. Um, environment and I'd probably go where would I go with myself uh, and Jimmy uh, I'll tell you what I'd probably go to the uh, I don't know somewhere like Malaysia some island off of Malaysia something like that very chilled out of the way nice sort of you know the people are very very nice as well very easy to to deal with but of course we've got to have someone who is going to uh, lead us through uh, that holiday as well as a team principal Hmm. I think just because of the way that his brain worked and actually he was the boss of, of Jimmy um, as well, I think he Colin Chapman I'd have to, I think that, that the brain that Colin had and the ideas that were whizzing around that that head were sometimes quite mind-blowing so it'd be lovely to sort of have a bit of a step inside <laughs> to to have a listen to what he was like and of course then actually that would be very good because the bands between, between him and Jimmy it would be quite interesting so that, that might work as well actually
3: yeah, you've definitely gone for a more chewed set than me. I, I, I'm i gonna go Ibiza again. Of course you are. I'm going Ibiza. I'm going Ibiza with James Hunt. Good man. And I'm bringing Eddie Jordan along with me. <laughs> bad, bad choice. Now we are talking. Yes, we are. Explain why, everyone. Would have want to come to that party, I'm telling you now. They said, okay, James, I'll rock it out to Ibiza. It would be popping off.
2: It would. Be, I've been out with James, so I, I've, I know exactly what, what you you would be uh, getting yourself into. <laughs> so, hence, I went for the quiet life. I was about to say, have I made a hefty mistake with that no, one? No, I don't think you have. No, you're having a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> a lot of fun with James. Now, the Eddie one, the Eddie one's an interesting one. Partying with Eddie Jordan.
3: Eddie Jordan or Flavio Briatore, I thought he could maybe have a little bit of a party with him. Flavio? Oh, I don't know him that well, Johnny. So, you know, I just think, you know, he seems like he's got a bit of a party in him or Gunter Steiner.
2: Oh, Gunter. No, uh, Gunter would be quite good fun. Yeah, I think it'd be limited. I think I've only got a certain amount of time. Sorry, Gunter. I've only got a certain amount of time I'd be able to cope with Gunter. But then I have to say I've only got a certain amount of time to be able to cope with Eddie Jordan. I've actually got less time. I think Eddie Jordan's a good job. Why Eddie then? So tell me, what is it about Eddie that will make you go, oh yeah, I'd there." Eddie, take
3: us in. Oh, I've just, you know, I've had the chance to work with him on Channel 4 and I just think he uh, he's just, he doesn't really care what people think. He just, you know, he's a bit of a, you know, he's all about living life from, you know, the impression that I got of him. He's obviously, you know, he's into his music. So I think, again, that would, you know, he would suit the whole Ibiza scene because you can do Ibiza party style or you can do it more chilled where I think, you know, he could potentially, you know, get on the drums, do his thing. Yes, but
2: you're taking James Hunt. So
3: it's only going one way. Well, I've not met James Hunt, so, you know, this is a quick-fire question, Johnny. I've
2: come up with my answer, and I'm sticking with it. I think we'd have a great time. I think you'd have a great time. The only thing I'd say, if you went to some place, had a little private VIP environment, champagne coming in from all different angle angles, Jordan would fleece you, and you'd be the one who'd be paying for it at the end. Remember that.
3: Ah, uh, this could be a problem. I was hoping with going with, you know, James Hunt. You forgot about that. I was hoping going with James Hunt and Eddie Jordan, it would all be on the house. (laughs) With James, it would be on the house for sure. Okay. All right. EJ, I'm not so sure. Good one, Naomi. I like that. That's a real good one. Nice question, Naomi. Right. Final question for Team Radio episode uh, is from Ashley. If you could make two changes to the current regulations, sporting or technical for 2024, what would they be? These I always I don't know about you, Johnny, I always find these ones tricky, you know, deciding new regulation new regulations because it feels like to me, if anything, F1's almost over
2: regulated anyway. It's very overregulated. But it seems it does need a little sort of tinker, tinker with. Uh what would what would I try and do? Well I, all I would try and do, which actually worked out in a in a sprint weekend, is actually reduce the ability for for the teams to be able to gather a, all the data that they need to make the perfect, perfect car come a Sunday race. So I'd reduce that by giving them probably shorter... And I'd probably spice it up a little bit. I'd probably give shorter free practice, free practice one, free practice two. So I'd probably sort of have maybe two-hour sessions. Then I'd have a qualifying session. Um, and then actually, I yes, then you just go straight into the race. And what I would then ban for Sunday... Actually, no. What I would supply the teams on a Sunday morning uh, is the old-fashioned pit board. No communication, okay. no discussion of what to do. This strap, this strap, that. Your tyres too warm. Your brakes are too warm or cold or whatever it may be. Just let the driver do it. You hand it over to him. You do everything you want to do beforehand in a slightly restricted way but then just let the drivers get on with it on the Sunday. If I wanted to change a rule on the car, I'd probably standardise a few more things on the car to try and close up the pack that little little bit more, make it a little bit more racier.
3: Hold on, Johnny, leave me some options there. You've nailed pretty much the brief there, haven't you? You just want to close the racing up. What about tyre blankets? Getting rid of them. Yeah, get rid of them. Don't need them. Happy to, to see them go. Don't understand the argument. Don't understand the argument with it. It takes away from you know making a pit stop. It should be that challenge of bringing tires up to temperature.
2: Brings them up to temperature. So that should yeah. that's
3: a skill and part of the craft of you know uh, being a good racing driver. Exactly. So yeah, that one, that would
2: be one for me. Is it? Is it hairy, Billy? Is it hairy, Billy? When you have cold tire, brand new cold tires going out onto the track. Yes, it is. Yeah. But you're right. It's the challenge of being able to take it easy and then build yourself up to it. I don't see what the issue actually is because everybody's in exactly the same boat.
3: Exactly that, yeah. For me, any changes to the regulations that I would be making are going to be ones that, you know, allow people um, to see more of the skill set of these drivers that we have on the grid. So that, for me, would help demonstrate, again, more of a skill set of bringing up tyres to temperature from the drivers. Also, I would like to see some something to do with you know i like the sprint format and that we have less time on track before quali and i guess that's more of a you know a sporting regulation change but i don't think we need 3 hour long practice sessions nope. i'd like to reduce that i'd like to get it down so i think an hour an hour is plenty you know even at the sprint race weekend, you know, we've okay, we saw maybe a few cars slightly out of position, like the McLarens with maybe a bit too much downforce on the car this weekend, just gone. But that, if anything, that's going to make the engineers, the mechanics, the driver have to come together and work, you know, in a more efficient manner to, to make sure that they get the car as close to 100% as possible in that short time frame. So for me, let's get rid of tyre blankets and let's reduce the amount of practice we have. On a normal race weekend as well. Let's get straight into the action.
2: Yeah, I I, I agree with it with you that uh, as well because I think all we are trying to do is trying to make it more more exciting. Now that's for the lifted lid viewers that we've got, but as far as what the teams will think about that, well, of course they will always be wanting to have as much time as they possibly can to create as much data as they can to get, as I said before, the the perfection. So. All we're trying to do is make the racing better because if we do what happened in Spa, for example, with Max, he had it too easy. He had enough time to joke about having an extra pit stop just so his mechanics could have a little bit of fun because he was just too far ahead of everybody else. So that's, it's it's damn impressive, but we don't want that. I don't think actually Max wants that. He wants to have a proper will-to-will battle as well because he enjoys that side of things since he has done, since he was... Is karting so all these things that we've just come up with, I think, will help that side of the racing, you know, become more interesting for everybody around the globe.
3: Yeah, I agree, mate. I think that's what we've got on that question, really, isn't it? I think that, that what the whole point of our changes, like you say, are to try and make it more entertaining spectacle for the fans, but equally to show off the driver's skill sets because sometimes. I feel like, you know, the skill their skill sets are diminished because the team have the more data than the drivers so they can make a more perfect decision. Yeah. When on uh, you would get on some occasion where the team with all this data think they should stop on lap thirty eight and someone like Max Verstappen would probably stop on lap thirty eight and people will go, Wow, he's nailed it, he's got the perfect lap and they would be, you know, he'd be giving the driver the round of applause yeah. for making that decision. So That's where I think, again, sometimes you you don't give the special ones like Max or Lewis or someone like that the chance to show how, you know, switched on and how, you know, how much spare capacity they've got whilst driving those cars.
2: Yeah, well, that's very interesting when you bring that up, because that's the prime example when you take the the blankets away. It's to those drivers that have that uncanny ability to somehow have a better outlap than everybody else, because they just have that feel. But if that doesn't happen, well, everybody's in the same... Anybody can drive out on a circuit with hot, warm tyres, grippy tyres straight away. But when yeah. they're a little bit tricky, that's when the skill comes into effect.
3: Want to see that more. Want to see that more, yeah. Right, well, thank you to everyone who sent in questions there on that Team Radio episode. Thoroughly enjoyed that one. You know, a lot of interesting questions about, you know, the past and Formula 1, about what we'd do for the future... And equally, about where we'd go on a holiday and with which driver and which team principal. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that one. So, make sure you continue to send those questions in because, Johnny, we love doing these team radio episodes, don't we?
2: Yeah, we do. And, again, it's just so good that you engage with us and uh, we enjoy engaging with you because I think that's what, you know, it, it's all about. It's about, you know, we love, we love racing. We love what we see on the racetrack. We love discussing the good and the bad and the ugly. And it's nice that you throw in some little curveballs uh, as well, and it, we're happy to answer all those, which is which is thoroughly enjoyable, Billy.
3: And if you wondered where me and Johnny would be doing our, you know, our episodes whilst this summer break is on, Johnny's going to Malaysia, and I'll be back in Ibiza. So ne- next time we're doing one of these episodes, that's where we'll be. But yeah, gr- a great episode. Remember, it's obviously summer break, so continue to send in your questions because I'm sure we'll be doing a few more Team Radio episodes whilst we've got this break to really keep you guys in the loop and get to know you guys about what you you want to know in Formula One from me and Johnny. But for now, it's
2: goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. I'm just going to go and get my sun Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is a Soapbox London and SBX Studios production. Our executive producers were Rowan Wilkinson and Andy Bell.